Hey, what's going on? This is David Avalon with another episode of Breaking the Guard with me and Robert Drysdale. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about the wage gap between men and women in jiu-jitsu and, by extension, in mixed martial arts. We'll talk about why it's there and why it's probably going to remain there unless there is a major social change in the marketplace. We also talk about the importances of having these differences in both, uh, when not just men and women, but in the weight classes and also just the different genetic traits and uh, behavioral traits that people have. And we get into a rabbit hole and talk about all sorts of reasons why it's a good thing we're not all clones for the survival of the human species and a bunch of other stuff. Even at the end, we talk about video games <laughs> briefly. But uh, it's a fun episode. I had a good time uh, chatting with Robert. I hope you guys enjoy and learn something from it. Before we get started, I would like to thank one of our sponsors, which is FFACoach.com. FFA Coach stands for the Freestyle Fighting Academy. And this is actually uh, my gym in Miami, Florida. And we have an online membership site, which essentially is like an online video portal where you can get coached uh, from me and my brother and the rest of our instructors that are in our gym on how to be a better mixed martial artist. There are tons of different membership sites and uh, in jiu-jitsu, not really any that I know of in MMA, but most of these sites are organized like encyclopedias where they have tons of different moves and you just have to figure out how to learn them and what order. What makes us unique is that we have monthly curriculums that we rotate and these curriculums are designed to teach you the way you would learn in a classroom environment. So rather than just saying, oh, Pick the move you want to learn. We give you a structure. Like these are the moves that you should learn in this particular order. And the way we break it down is exactly the way that we would teach it in a classroom. So it's the best way of learning for me besides training with me in person. You know, and I, it's a great resource for students. Uh, and we have uh, three skill levels when beginner, intermediate, and advanced level students. And we also break down the curriculums by striking, wrestling, and grappling. And each of these curriculums stands on its own, but they also blend well together. And this is a, the system we've been using since 2007. We're probably one of the oldest sites out there, especially in, in the MMA world. And uh, this was actually used to be exclusive to the members of my gym, but we opened it up uh, after we had a good amount of demand from outside students and visitors who wanted to have access and learn what we're doing. So besides the curriculums, we also have over 1,500 videos online from sparring videos, competition, just regular class, like spy cam footage. So it's a great insight into how we run our academy. So if you're a student, obviously this is like being able to train at the gym virtually. And if you're an instructor, it's also a great resource because you can learn how to teach classes like we do at our gym. You know, we have produced I believe four different ADCC athletes in a small team. We're not a giant affiliation. We're just one gym. And we've gotten four athletes in ADCC with myself taking a bronze. We had Enrico Coco, my brother Marcos, Rima, uh, Ghazi Parman. So there were actually five there. But um, and we've had people in the UFC like George Masvidal, Kimbo Slice, Charles McCarthy, a whole bunch of them. So it's a world-class team that you'll be able to get insights and look into. 
and we are offering a bunch of different specials now. You can, for one, join just for $1 in your first month and get 30 days just to explore the site and see everything that it has to offer. And afterwards, it's just 15 bucks a month. If you want to continue, there's no contracts or anything silly. You could cancel whenever you want. You don't need to send an email. You could do it online and just cancel easily. And we also are offering something different, which is if you join for a year up front, which is just $10 a month, you'll also get the Kimura Trap System as a bonus for free. So that's $197 value that you're getting on top of that for free. So I think that's probably the best deal out there. So if you want to join, just visit FFACoach.com and you can see the offer there on the join page where you can get the Kimura Trap System for free when you join for a year annually. It's just $10 a month paid annual. It's like 120, I think. Really good deal. Go ahead, check it out at ffacoach.com. Hey guys, what's going on? David Avalon here with Robert Drysdale for another edition of Breaking the Guard. Today, I wanted to talk about something that will probably ruffle a bunch of people's feathers. That's what we do. Right? But uh, I think the theme was yeah. to talk about entitlement, privilege, and go into a little bit of that. So yeah. the first thing that caught my attention, I saw some posts uh, going on a couple of days ago. They were talking about how women in jiu-jitsu and in extension MMA need to be paid equally yeah. to men. And uh, my take on it is it has nothing to do with your your gender or how much you weigh or whatever it is it's all about how many people are going to pay to watch you right so unfortunately usually women are not being watched as much as men in combat sports and the other weight class light people if you're a big male heavyweight you're getting the most money of anybody we have lots of talented fighters that are lightweights that big get paid nothing compared to the heavyweight counterparts. So now is this like oh weightism? Yeah. No, it's just also supply and demand. You know, like if people don't want to pay you to watch you, you know, it's harder to pull. There's you know, to justify. There's so many it. different ways to tackle this conversation. I'm not sure what angle to start with, but like I hopefully we'll cover all of them. And and you're right. Like I think there's an expectation there and. You know, that, oh, it's from a very, I mean, immediate, you know, at first glance, you look at it and you go, yeah, that makes sense. They're, they're both fighting the same amount of time. They both train just as hard. Uh, men and women should get paid equally. And immediately that makes perfect sense. And, but you're right, when it comes to uh, promotions, uh, well, the guiding force behind promotions is not ideology. It's not, you know, misogyny. It's not that. It's numbers. They're looking at profits, you know. So when the UFC, I personally believe the UFC's rules are tweaked towards striking against grappling. Yeah, and, for sure. And, you know, like the, the commission has a tradition in boxing and there's there's some of that. But I honestly believe the UFC as an entity prefers striking because it's something that appeals more to the public. It's more exciting, perhaps. It's something that everyone understands a punch, not everyone understands an armbar, right? Yep. So the UFC is leans towards striking. Now, I don't like that. Right, but it is what it is. I understand it. I don't think the UFC is like purposely being biased against grapplers. I think the UFC is a reflex of the audience. You mentioned the weight class, same thing. Mighty Mouse was outstanding. 
Yeah, he's uh, pound for pound. He might have been the best. Yeah. MMA fight. I mean, one of the best of all time. If yeah, you really ask me, for sure. Skill wise, he's but the most well rounded. Uh, incredible. He didn't sell nowhere near as near as uh, as much as John Jones or DC. Now, why is that? Is it? It's just it's a reflex of the audience. And the same goes for jujitsu. We always use the, the example of like you know Bruno Malfasini, like 10, 11 world titles or something. And he he does. He's not as popular as guys like. I'm not going to mention it. People that sometimes never want anything, but just because they're heavier, they're in the spotlight a lot more, right? And that's unfortunate, but it's just the reality. And I think at the bottom of this conversation, Dave, and, and this we can talk about this a little bit, is the it is that age-old discussion of you know nature versus nurture. You know, like what is what what is versus what I wish were. You know, yeah. science and biology versus ideology. Like, do we have an inclination towards preferring? watching heavyweights fight or men fight because we understand that heavyweights in general have an advantage over lightweights. So in the hierarchy in our heads, heavyweights are better than lightweights. In the hierarchy in our minds, men are better fighter than better fighters than women. So the public is more likely to pay for the best versus the second best. And in terms of fighting, and this is not a sexist comment, but it's just factual, like men are better fighters on average. It's not a natural that the public wants to pay for the best. Yeah, I I agree with you. You know, like um, and historically that has been proven to be the case. Like I had actually looked up uh, the top. Well, actually, every UFC pay per view that's ever been run and the numbers that were publicly shown, and I was surprised that actually the very first UFC only had like ninety thousand buys. Oh wow! I was like, man, that's nothing <laughs> and it was such a cold the very first one the very first one so not bad money if you think of it they're probably selling it with 40 50 bucks yeah and they were only giving away sixty thousand for the and yeah. that was flat you know i don't know if they paid travel but very minimal budget yeah. you know so they made money of course but like compared to now it's yeah like, it's nothing geez, there was like it's, playground yeah, stuff you know yeah. so uh snack money but like the top ufc of all time was the mo- recently was mcgregor and khabib and it did two point Four million, I think. Is that the, the biggest one of all that time? That's the biggest one of all time. Oh, wow. Uh, and But most of them, that was the only one that broke two million. The rest yeah. of them are in the million range. Conor McGregor, no surprise, holds the record. He has like four fights in the top 10 of UFC pay-per-views, like 1.6, yeah. 1.8. Like he holds, I think, the first three spots. The next big draw, Brock Lesnar. Yeah. No surprise. He has two of them, right? He has like 1.3, 1.2. The next big draw... Ronda Rousey, she had one point one. She's number she's, she's number three. She oh. out of uh, well in no. my standard, which is yeah. who hold, held the most spots yeah, in pay per views. Yeah. So Connor had four, uh, Brock had two, and um, Ronda had two, and she was just underneath Brock in the sense that she had one point one and one point three. So, and I and if you know people who are headlining obviously they from my understanding they always get a cut of their pay-per-view action yeah. the percentages vary depending on who they are but I, it's fair to say that Ronda got paid significantly well and uh, probably better than pretty much everybody else yeah. in the UFC besides those mega stars so you know there was a for a while Dana White was like women will never fight in the UFC this blah 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 yeah, he made yeah. a big stink about it and why did he say that? I think one, he likes playing the versatility game, but then two, probably he saw the numbers don't make sense, right? Like, I'm gonna pay for a female division, I'm gonna build it up, and not as many people are gonna watch it. It was only until he probably saw like, hey, you know what? The market is growing for this, and we're gonna fill a niche 
of being yeah. the only people offering female MMA and he got blessed to have like a star like Ronda who had some natural charisma and just yeah. a lot of people wanted to to watch her, you know. So she was like one of those few people like we talked about last time that like became a celebrity outside of just MMA. Like everybody who follows celebrities knows who Ronda Rousey yeah. is, like they know Conor McGregor. Not everybody knows who, you know, Derek Brunson is, even yeah. though he's a phenomenal fighter, right? So I don't think if they could bring Ronda back to her prime days, like when she was killing it, yeah. and she goes, hey, I want to fight again. Yeah. You know, Dana's not going to be, no, we don't want women. Yeah. No, he was like, well, come on in. You know? like, yeah. Dana just wants to make I mean, As, as yeah. a business owner, he just wants to make money. I remember there's one UFC, and I don't remember where I saw this, but there was a meme where I think Cyborg was in it where the women got paid more than men. Like the main card and the, like the, the, the co-main event and all that, the women got paid more than men. It was an unusual UFC. But so these things do happen. But once again, it's a reflex not of, oh, we're trying to boycott women. We don't want men and women making money. It's just a matter of ticket sales. Yeah. Um, we did an event. We commented on this event about just over a year ago, Black yep, Book yep. CBD. And it was the first time that men and women got paid the exact same amount. And, I, and I'm happy that we did that. And I'm proud of that. And I agree with it, but you got to understand where Black Belt CBD is coming from, or was coming from. Uh, different perspective. We have an artificial injection of money into creating a promotion that is not aiming at ticket sales, but product sales. Yeah. So it's very different. So in, under those circumstances, controlled circumstances where you're not depending on ticket sales to make your money, you can actually afford to do that. In fact, you can pay women more if you want. Like in sure. These, in the, in these, it's a little bit different. Right, but if we're going to talk about an organization that is going to be a reflex of ticket sales, then I don't see how heavy men aren't going to always be the lead. I don't think that is that ever going to change. Is it possible that it's going to change? I don't know. I think that the average UFC fan, we can all agree on this, is not very educated into appreciating technique. You know, they're just more likely to look at things. You know, the heavy guy beats the little guy. Therefore, if I'm going to spend my money, I want to watch the very, very best. And it's just. It's a difficult one because I, you know, I'm an idealist in so many ways, and I would like things to be in a certain way. But at some point, we we have to look at maybe just this the way, you know, what can, what to what extent can we change things that might be, you know, just so instinctual to us to just lean towards, you know, like, and I, I just don't see in terms of sport women ever being as appealing as men because men are more athletic, on average, you know. So it's a tough one. Well, the. They, I think they can. Like someone like Ronda, for example, she eclipsed most men that will ever compete in the UFC as far as success and popularity. Possible, yeah. Right, so it's possible. But her success wasn't necessarily based on her skill set, more so her personality and the yeah. the the character that she became. Yeah. Right, I think it was both. Like she, she was very. I think she was light years ahead of the division too in t- on the technical terms. Oh, on grappling yeah, side. Yeah, for and, sure. and yeah. one and one thing I never remember you mentioned Dana. Like I remember Dana. I remember the press conference in in New York for it was before MMA was even legal. They were pushing for it, and there was I think the weigh-ins were in Manhattan, and the fights were in New Jersey or something like that. It was Corey Frank, and someone asked him why no women in MMA, and then he goes like this: the little skill level is not there. And he was very blunt and cynical. And this is like before Ronda, right? This has been a few years ago, like more like a decade ago, and. It made sense to me. It's like, yeah, he's right. Like, the skill level at the time was not there. There were not that many women training. But, like, even IBJJF, when they first started, Dave, they, they had, like, two divisions. I think it was blue and purple, brown and black. 
and now they're adding weight classes and now they have like every division because there are a lot more women practicing so you know 15 years ago people were accusing IBJF being like pro men and against women it's just a matter of like numbers we have only 30 men women for four divisions like I can't create more divisions yeah. if we only have 30 women signed up right more women sign up we create more divisions of course like any other in private institution they're aiming at profit not at you know, they're, it's not a, a, they're not waging a war against women. Yeah. It's just a matter of numbers. No, to me, the whole argument is pretty much economics-based, right? Like, at the end of the day, a business like the UFC or IBJJF, they're in it to make money. Yeah. So I don't think they, like you said, I think we talked about it a little last time, they're not, like, uh, sexist or racist or anything like that. We're like, oh, we're not going to let someone win because yeah. or we'll make, we're not, we're going to kick ourselves in the ass by not trying to make money because we have these, right? no, I don't think so. I don't yeah, think that's the way it's work. I think I it's just... It's just based on the numbers, you know? So, like, for people who want to transcend, unfortunately, yeah, you know, if you're, you know, a woman or you're a lightweight, you're probably going to make less money than a male in a heavyweight division, right? But it's been done, right? Conor McGregor is the best-paid probably athlete in the UFC or MMA at all time, and he's a lightweight. He's 100, well, he fought, like, 155 and 145. He moved all over the place, but he was a smaller guy. And, but he did it through charisma, right? Yeah. Through his character, you know, through the marketing of himself, mm-hmm. right? So that's always what's going to make you the most money, right? Like Brock Lesnar is like a double-edged sword in the sense that he's got the WWE backing Crowd. and he's, he's his guy. giant specimen. But he lacks the charisma. He right? doesn't he, have Connor's charisma. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he just has the WWE character, you know what I mean? But he's not like... I can't remember one word that he has said. You know what I mean? Like, I no, don't exactly remember any phrases that he said that are iconic. Yeah. You know, like, Connor has a bunch of them, you yeah. know? Like, Write a so, book about him. Yeah. But, like, you know, I think that, you know, the, the Connor is a good example of a lightweight doing well in, in you know, in t- terms of ticket sales. But I, I guess when we look at these things, you know, we can always point out the Connors and the lightweight divisions and the Ronda Rouse and the women's. Oh, it's possible. But we have to look at, you know, to have this, a, a, a broad-ranging view of the issue we have to look at the average you know and on average right the ticket sales lean towards the heavier guys and boxing has always been that way too you know 100%, like yep. you know and it, it, i just don't i just don't see a way around it I, yeah I no, the inherent the, the, like you said there's like an inherent bias and i think you're probably right in the sense that for the for the average guy he sees a big dude and he sees a little guy he's like the big dude's gonna beat up the little dude so the big dudes are really call, yeah. probably going to be the best fighter, right? Yeah. So I, I think that's always going to be true. You know, like when you look at like powerlifting competitions, you're always seeing strong man. It's always the giant, you know, monster of a guy that you're going to watch. You're not going to watch like the 140-pound guy, even though, like I just learned the other day, like actually the person who holds the best bench press is a, actually like a 40-year-old woman who's like 130 pounds and she can bench press 325. Wow. It's like, holy crap. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Wait, is, is that the record for I, I think they, they have something called like the Wilk score, which is like essentially... Proportion it, to your body weight. Proportion to your body weight and okay. all that. And I think it also accounts for, for for gender or whatnot. But like technically, she's lifting better than anybody else. That's incredible. Which is amazing. You know yeah. what I mean? Because normally women on the bench press is a really hard thing to do yeah. because they normally don't carry that much muscle mass yeah. in there. But like... I saw I saw her lifting and said, "Boo!" And she's a beast, you know. So like, you know, but those that's rare, right? Yeah. That's like you said, we could find like the outliers, but as a rule of averages, you know, yeah, it's not going to work in their favor, yeah. you know. So I think you are right that in the sense that we're always going to look to the bigger male figures to be the better fighters, the stronger yeah. guys, because that's just a stereotype that exists, right? Yeah. And unfortunately, and even though it might not be true, 
it is what it is, you know. So if you want to overcome that, you have to follow the examples of the of the McGregors and the Rondas, which you have to create that personality. Even guys, someone like Henry Cejudo, right? Like he's taken over um, Demetrius Johnson's spot and doing way better. Yeah. Right. Even though like they're pretty closely skilled, like you know they got one and one each. You know he got the last one, but like even then it was kind, of, it was really close fight. You yeah. Know what I mean. But he's doing way better than Demetrius was marketing-wise. Yeah. And he wasn't even an interesting character before, but then, like, he started branding himself Triple C, and he's yeah. doing the cheese ball, the little, like, grin. On the yeah, they, they, they got to find a voice. When yeah. they find a voice on that, that will be the advice to, you know, women and, and lighter weights in general. Like, once you find that, then, you know, people more likely be interested in what you have to say because, once again, the average fan is not educated enough to appreciate your technique as on by itself you know yeah. they need a story they need a context they need uh the drama they need the 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 soap opera right they, they need like ronda was that character she had a really cool background from judo she had a really sad story with her father she always felt like she was fighting for her father you know they, that's that adds to the character because now you got a story behind it you know yeah. you can see that the emotion has a we all have these stories we all have you know like a a, a, a context behind our journeys but unless you get that across, you know, people aren't interested. Yeah. And I think it's important that people break out like that because essentially Rhonda paved the path for other women to follow in her footsteps Yeah, and sort of take over the mantle, right? Because now, like, maybe before her, the average dude's like, ah, oh, well, you know, a woman couldn't do anything, you know, fight. They're not going to do good. And then they see Rhonda kicking anyways. But... And like, oh, damn, women can fight, and they can yeah. fight really good. Yeah. You know, I'll start paying attention now. Because before, yeah. I never even considered it. You know, like, the average guy might have thought that way. And then she just opened the path. And likewise, when you have lightweights, you're like, oh, lightweights are not good. And then you see Connor's smoking fools, and you're like, oh, crap. You know, yeah, these guys can really fight. You know, and they, they actually had a clip of Connor fighting the mountain, and he, like, body TKO'd him, like, in a sparring session. Yeah. Like, they weren't going super hard, but, like, he gassed them out, you know, but... It, it, those videos are important because people start seeing, you know, what technique is important. You know yeah. what I mean, and I, I think with time, with the more educated public, these things may change. Uh, are they ever going to be completely equal and fair? I'm not sure. I get where women are coming from. The ones like we should get paid the same because I know how hard these women train. Like they train just as hard as men. There is also the fact that there are a lot more men practicing BJJ. For sure. Or MMA for that, especially MMA, right? MMA. So yeah. my gym is close to 50-50 when it comes to women. And men. You have a lot of women. Yeah, like gym, I think yeah. I have the highest ratio I've ever seen in gym, like close to it. Like other than women, gyms that are like almost, you know, I've seen gyms that are run by women. Yeah. And then it just draws only women. Very few guys go to it, right? But like for a gym run by a guy, I have like close to my half my, my uh, audience being female. Maybe a third. Which is still pretty high. Yeah. You know, and I think it's going up and it's changing. And I, I, you know, as a father of two girls, I truly believe that, you know, BJJ, at least speaking for BJJ, maybe not MMA, is women are the future demographic for BJJ. You know, I truly believe that. You know, I think they're they're attracted to it. They like it just as much as men. They're intimidated by the idea of having someone on top of them. Yeah. So it's a very difficult thing to break that paragon where, you know, you're going to convince them like, hey, it's not as threatening as it looks initially because it's it looks sexual if you don't understand bjj yeah. uh you're gonna have a you know some hairy guy breathing on you you know <laughs> it's trying to choke you think about put yourself yeah. in their shoes no no it's know? for sure very some of them have trauma yeah you know so that's like a very you know and they, they and like we don't even like people approaching our personal space imagine someone on top of you trying to choke you your first day right 
So advice to gym owners is like ease them into it. They're not you. You like sweaty people on top of you trying to choke you out, right? You've been training for years, right? Your new student does, especially women. But I don't know. You know, I just don't see a way around that. Like I would like, I I would like them to get paid just as much as men. But as a, if I think of a promoter of any fight organization, I just don't see them making that call. Unless that's part of their marketing scheme is to market is like we pay exactly the same and that turns into a marketing tool to draw a bigger female audience. I think that the issue perhaps is not so much with the promoters that aren't paying is more like, well, maybe let's do make more noise, more noise to get more women watching yeah. to support because the support is not really coming from because I hear that support women's BJJ. I'm like, yeah, let's support it. But the support is going to come from women themselves who are actually going to be engaging with the sport more, not forcing promoters to make a, a, yeah. a unreasonable decision when running their shows. Yeah, I'm going to be in the whole $30,000 this show just to, to show my support to like the, the 12 women who showed up at my event. Yeah. That's not fair on the promoters either, it, right? It, so it isn't at all. It's, it's, yeah. uh, it's a grassroots kind of like slow process. It's very organic where you have to convince women that women who don't train, this is cool. You got to support it. You got to show up at the gym. You got to buy tickets. And when you guys start doing that, every time a woman fights, and then the promoters see that, I can guarantee you they're going to start paying the women better. 100%. I've run tournaments. And yeah. if you had told me, hey, we do a, a women-only jiu-jitsu tournament, and you're going to get all these women coming to watch it, easy. I've hosted 100 times out of 100. Yeah. You know, so it's just an economics issue, right? Like you said, like a lot of women who are doing jiu-jitsu are like, oh, yeah, we should support it. But are you? I don't know. It, it, you know, yeah. because you can look at... Uh, I mean, Invicta is a women-only yeah. um, MMA promotion. And they have a ring boy, which I thought was pretty funny. Yeah, it's funny. That. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder you couldn't pay me enough to do that. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, but like, again, how much buzz does it get compared to other promotions? Not much, right? It's a reflex of yeah. the, the greater audience. It's not even the educated public. It's the... It's the, I think 90% of people who buy the UFC never step foot in the gym, more like 95%. For sure, yeah. You know, and that's the reality, that's their audience. So when Dana White makes these decisions, I don't like him. Half the decisions he makes when it comes to like giving people title fights, Ugh. like I hate him. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, yeah. what are you doing, man? I'm yeah. a fan, you know, give me, give me the guy, number one versus the number two. That's what I want to see, you yeah. know, bring in the guy number 14 for a title fight just because he sells tickets. But he is a promoter. He's looking at numbers. He's not looking, I'm going to support men over women. Like, it just makes no sense. Yeah. I think Frank made a comment. Like, even when you hire people, I think it's not, and I agree with him, it's not a decision. I would not never hire someone, because not hire someone because they're a woman or a man. Like, right. I, it's it's strictly a business decision. Exactly. You're getting hired based off your competence, you know, and it just is what it is. Like some, you know, I, I don't think men and women are identical. I think we're biologically different. People don't have a hard time accepting that because it's not very, it conflicts with an ideological discourse. But it, it is, that, that's exactly what it is. It's just ideology. You know, a lot of this discussion that, and, and a lot of the, the current debate on, you know, genders and, and, and the role of women and men, if there are roles, it's all, everything's a social construct, right? And this is cemented on behaviorism, which basically says that we're, we're all the same. Yeah. We're born exactly the same. So if a boy ends up pay, playing with Legos and a girl with dolls, it's because the parents force him in that direction, right? And a lot of people, you know, they, they, they've assimilated these beliefs, right? But it's not scientific. We know today that's just not the case. And anyone who's a parent knows this perfectly well, too. 
anyway, say I've had friends of mine who were like cultural anthropologists and they're like, no, no behavior. Everything's a social construct. Everything is culture. There's no biology. We're learned creatures, right? And then they have kids. Oh, change their mind just like that. You know, like that guy's got a mind of his own. Like you can give him the Lego the and the, the, and the doll and the boy wants to play with the Lego and the girl wants to play with the doll. And it's just, it's our biological leaning. Now, are there exceptions? Yes, but the thing about this discussion is people always want to talk about the exceptions. If you're talking about a broad-ranging issue, Dave, you can't talk about exceptions. You have to look at the whole. Yeah. And the whole gives you an average, and the average tells you a story, right? It's a consistent story throughout history. But there are a lot of people that are in denial about that, and that's the things you seem to think it's a bad thing. Oh, that's exactly what you would expect from nature. And that's a good thing. Yeah. It exists in every species. Why should we be any different? Like, oh, we're different. No, we're, we're part of the of the world. We're part of the living world. Like, why why is that bad? Yeah, it's not bad. No, it, it, like you said, it's just it's just differences, yeah. right? And uh, yeah, I I definitely don't agree with the statement that everybody's born equal. No, everybody has their own yeah. pros and cons, you know. And you, the the goal of life is to try to figure out where what? you fit, you know, where you're happiest and what assets that you can make yeah. strong and sometimes what you think is a negative is actually going to give you an advantage yeah. because you have to work around it or whatnot you know but i i think it's pretty obvious to see that whatever your parents and grandparents were doing it kind of leaps into you also you yeah know? it's very common you see like the the children of famous athletes end up becoming yeah. great athletes now you can yeah. say oh because they raise them that way yeah there's one thing but then there's also some genetic bonuses Shoot, that come into yeah. it Right, and there's yeah. also some like learned behaviors, you yeah. know, like their behavior. I I believe behaviors can be passed down from one generation yeah. to the next. You know, it's part of like survive, like what we call instincts, yeah. right? Like, why are we scared of low pitched sounds? Yeah. You know, because generally those were like in horror movies. We don't, you, sometimes you don't even realize it. They have very low pitched bass noise during the moments that are supposed to invoke terror. And what they discovered is that when you play this, it creates anxiety in humans. And reasoning is that roars and growls of predatory animals have these low pitches in them yeah so through learn experience from predecessors yeah and learn when that low pitch is coming yeah. that means some bad thing is coming along the yeah. way and we gotta get scared and start running or fighting you know and and, and it's funny because i i love this topic it's such a fascinating one to me we accept this when it comes to anatomy so for example we understand that black skin's adaptation to sunlight yeah it makes sense. You're getting tons of sunlight. You want a shield, protects you. But if you get that black person, you move them to Scandinavia, right? They're going to be very likely vitamin D deficient because they're not getting enough sun, right? So the, the, these are adaptations to our environment. When it comes to our anatomy, like our height, color of our eyes, when it comes to all these anatomical, we, we accept it perfectly. No problem. We perfectly, you know, we understand it, right? It makes perfect sense. And when it comes to the mind, like, oh, no, 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 the mind's different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then there's just like this white sheet of paper that culture does all the job, and there's no genetic print from hundreds of thousands of years of evolution. None of that is imprinted in your mind. It's all up to how your mom and dad raised you. There's a list, I wish I where I found this list, of a cultural universals. They exist in every culture, and it's ever been recorded. Mm. Right, and there's a list of like something I can't remember the number, like hundred traits that are common in every single culture. In other words, they've never been in contact with one another. We're talking about a little island in the Pacific that wasn't contacted by other people up to like you know a hundred years ago or whatever, right? And they all have these traits. So what that suggests is that there are aspects of our behavior 
that precede, you know, to precede farming. They precede, you know, they, they go back hundreds of thousands of years. That's what it suggests. Now, the only question is, and this is the question that no one can really put their finger on because it's too complex. It goes like this. Where does one end and where does the other one begin? Mm, because yeah. they interact so much and you can't separate them. So it's so difficult. It's like trying to separate technique with athletic ability, which is like one of my biggest peeves in jiu-jitsu when people go like, oh, technique is separate from athletic ability. I'm like, no, it's not. A good double has good timing, good speed, and good power. And it's the same for your bearing bolo sweep. If your, if your grips are off, your hands are weak, it's not happening, right? You can't, you can, you kind of, we talk about them like they're different things, right? But they're so, they converge so much. There's so much overlap and it's hard to separate. So there's no doubt to me that there are biological differences. That goes without saying. Yeah. The only question is to what extent does that, you know, allow or not allow the, the, the impact of culture in our behavior, right? And how they interact. That's, and no one can put a finger on it. No, I, I agree with you. I always found that funny too when people say everybody has equal mental ability. No. Like, no, it, no unfortunately, way. it's not true. You know, like I, in the ideal world, yes, everybody yeah. would have equal mental ability, equal physical ability for the matter. Why not make it a completely level playing field? But it isn't that way. You know, like, like, like somebody can have a longer nose or a shorter nose. Yeah. You think those type of variations don't happen in the brain between like how people spatially process yes. versus how they have linguistic skills? Like, Absolutely. Yeah, it affects, yeah. Uh, of course, there's Mathematics. Uh, it's just way, is Social intelligence. Yeah. I so, a sense of humor. I think some people, like I, I, my, my, my six-year-old daughter, she says stuff, and I'm like, man, that was witty. That was fun. I'm not a witty guy like that. You know? yeah. She's like, she didn't get it from me. You know, like, it's just like she has, like, my kids, but observing my kids, and they're best friends. They do every, they're like, there's almost like they're the same person. They're so tight. Yeah. You know, they can go, like, if they go without me or without mom, it's, they don't like it, but it's okay, right? But they can't go without each other for more than five minutes. It's insane, right? And exact same raising upbringing, you know, you know, and they're completely different. They're best friends, but they're completely different in personality. Yeah. You know, and I think there's so much going on in terms of, you know, like, you know, tying it to jujitsu. Everyone thinks, oh, you know, if this, if you know, if this guy's better than that guy, it's because this guy trains harder. It's like he may or may not train harder, <laughs> yeah, you know. But there's a million other factors. They're not just physical; they're also mental that come into development of your athletic, of your of your jujitsu ability. You know, like I think some people learn faster. For sure, I think some people have a spatial kind of awareness that other people have less developed. We know that. You know, like certain parts of your brain may be more or less developed. Just like you have me, you may have longer or shorter arms. You know, you might have like, you might be really hairy or not very hairy. You might have a big nose or a small nose. You may have, there are parts of your brain that are less developed than others, 100%. which will give you an advantage yeah. in certain fields, right? But tell that to a behaviorist and say like, oh, they get angry. Yeah. They, get, they, they don't like to hear it because it conflicts with everything they believe in. You know? Kind of like when we talked with Kit. Uh, uh, he tried to address in his systems and his courses the different mythologies that people learn. You know, some people learn through physical contact. And yeah. they have to literally, you have to do the move on them yeah. so they can feel it. Versus some people, you just show them a video and then they get it. Or some people, they need to hear the message, you know. Right. So, like, and like you said, these are just different developments of the brain, right? Like, how people learn is all varies. And that's, yeah. that goes to show that the brains are different from person to person. Yeah. You know, and, like, unless we're doing, like, mind-body dualism you know which yeah. i think is garbage you know yeah. i think they're one they're one in the same yeah. you know so there's definitely a lot of variation there so it isn't a level playing field you know everybody's different but it's just learning how to work with your differences yeah and 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 that's exactly i think that's a good thing though it gives you know variation there's um there's a book 
And I don't agree with a lot of the conclusions of the book, but it makes some good points. It's called The Red Queen, Matt Ridley. And it goes like this. The microbiological level. The reason why, why sex, it goes to try to answer the question, why sex? Well, sex is about gene shuffling. Because if every person is a clone to the person next to them, then our biggest rival of all time, which is bacteria, basically viruses, right? They'd wipe us out. They'd figure out a way. The bubonic plague would have wiped us out had we been clones in terms of our immune, uh, yeah. our immune system. It is precisely because our immune system is varies from individual to individual and to, from place to place that we are able to what, overcome bacteria and viruses. Right? Imagine if we were clones, what would happen? So sex is about gene shuffling. Right? We mix up the genes, we end up with like genetic mutations, we have new people that are just completely different from the previous generation. Not completely different, you know, but they vary, right? And that variation is what allows what? The flexibility in the species. That's exactly what you would expect. So this different these differences we have, they're there for a reason. And they're not bad. It's exactly why we made it this far. You know, if you look at every every species that has been has had longevity in nature. They, they, there's a large, there's variety in the species. You would expect that, right? It's an interesting way of putting it. I haven't yeah. thought of it in the sense of surviving disease, but what you said yeah. is makes hundred percent sense. Biggest killer in history. Yeah, if you bacteria. have a clone of everybody and they have the same immune system, you get that one that you don't have. You're done. Yeah, very interesting. Which reminds us of an article a while ago. It was some scientists saying that. Um, Antibiotics are one of the greatest threats to human civilization. Yeah, yeah. And everyone's like, what? Antibiotics are good? <laughs> no, they're not. Antibiotics, we have like one antibiotic that beats MRSA. If that, mutates. if MRSA figures out, mutates, yeah. and figures out a way to beat that, we're out of antibiotics. Like we have tried every little different way of, uh, yeah. I don't know what the word is, I'm missing the word. Putting together antibiotic chemically, right? Sure my girl, my girlfriend that. tells me this all the time. I, yeah, yeah. She, she said like the, the advancements of antibiotics is terrible. Like they yeah. haven't made any great leaps in a long time. No, then nothing yeah. happens. I said just combinations. Or we're out of combinations, basically, right? MRSA figures it out. We're doomed, basically. You know, it's like it's a threat to human civilization. We're like, oh no, it's not. That's why when I get sick, for me to take antibiotics, I have to be like pneumonia. Like I'm gonna. Die. <laughs> I'm serious. I don't unless I. And I have in the past, but I always tough it out as much as I can because I know that as a result, my immune system is going to come out much, much stronger. I'll tell you like one, this is, to me, it's, a, it's fascinating, right? But the immune system is something really, really interesting. It's, it's, it's a big puzzle when it comes to, um, you know, understanding. It, 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 we, it varies so much and, and, and immune systems get trained, right? They get strong or weak depending on your environment, right? Yeah. So when I see parents that are like, you know, totally clean about their kids, you can't put your finger, put your toys in your mouth, don't play with that. That's dirt, right? And kids are constantly putting stuff in their mouth, right? They're, it's, it's a form of training their immune system. Yeah. So if you go to the favelas in, in Brazil, the slums, right? They get exposed to open sewer. They get exposed to dead animals, garbage. It's not a clean environment, right? So the infant mortality rate is super high because these, a lot of these kids don't make it. Like they, don't, they, don't, they can't beat that threshold of actually training their immune system to become strong enough to defeat the environment, right? But as a result, when they grow up, they turn out to have very strong immune systems. So the stereotype goes, like, the kids from the favelas and the slums don't get sick. And I thought that was just a stereotype. It's just dumb. It's just a, you know, it's, a, it's like a myth. We did a camp in 2006 at Brazil. We had, like, 100-plus people from all over the team, from all over the country came to train. It was, one of the, it was the coolest camp we'd ever done. We had so many good guys there to train, right? Towards the end of the camp, everyone's getting sick. Everyone, we were training two, three times a day. Everyone's overtrained. And the favela guys were tired, <laughs> but they weren't sick. 
<laughs> and I actually, I don't, I don't know if it's just if I'm just reading too much into yeah, this, yeah. but I think there might be some truth to that. Like you get exposed to so much bacteria in your in your upbringing. By the time you're an adult, you're like you're bulletproof, man. Like you bring it, you know. So the point is, you have to find a balance between these things. If you're overly clean, that's not a good. As a child, like if yeah. you're not exposed to bacteria, that's not a good thing. No, for sure, it's pretty much why the Native Americans got wiped out by the Europeans. Exactly. Yeah. All the Euro- dirty Europeans. <laughs> intermingling yeah. and they got all sorts of diseases that were never encountered by yeah. people you know, you know what that is by the why why Europeans I mean Europeans and medieval Europeans were not in the habit of showering they didn't take like some of them go like days yeah, months yeah. years without taking a bath it was not a thing like Native Americans well they vary dramatically from from place to place yeah. and culture to culture of course but they were clean <laughs> for the most part so the the fact that they were so clean actually worked against them whereas Europeans were so filthy at the time that they created super germs yeah. You know, and plus on top of that, they're living in close proximity with livestock. Yeah. So, you know, pigs, cattle, yeah. sheep, probably a lot of like uh, bestiality going on. I imagine, <laughs> you know, like, you know, the, <laughs> there's, a, there's a reason why people say about farms. And yeah, stuff. man. Yeah, like, yeah. It, it, it's funny, like, in certain places in Brazil and Latin America, like the countryside, you hear stories. Oh, like, yeah. This shit happens, you know. And that creates, like, of course, super germs and bacteria because now you have, you know, it's, it, action, and, yeah. and there's feces everywhere and rats everywhere. You can imagine what kind of genes we created in Europe. Yeah. Or like genes, I'm telling you, immune system. We could, like, they were very strong immune system. So, yeah. Pretty disgusting. Yeah, but it's just like anything. Like, I mean, this is from a physical and immune aspect, but in general, whenever you put yourself in a bubble, you make yourself weak, right? Because, like yeah. you're saying, you're not getting exposed to new stimuli. You don't learn, you don't adapt, you, you become stale. As long as you're in the bubble, you're good. But the yeah. moment that bubble bursts, you're done for. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, and this is just like from everything. Like you should always be looking to expose yourself to new sources of information, even yeah. if it might be scary to you, because then you're gonna be able to grow from that experience. Yeah. You know? So kind of like all you're talking about with women getting introduced in jujitsu. I, I I wanted to chime in there. I agree with that because I think they're the ones that probably benefit the most from jujitsu versus something like kickboxing or whatnot. Right? Because, like, I, I tell my girlfriend, like, if she wants to learn self-defense, like, kickboxing is not going to be that useful for her. Yeah. Right? She's 120 pounds, and she's been doing yoga yeah. and contortion her whole life. She's all slow twitch. Yeah. You know what I mean, she doesn't got any pop in her. You know, yeah. so she's not going to knock anybody That's out. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. She's for not going to knock anybody right. with her hands. I mean, there's women that can, but, I mean, in her case, she's not. You know, she's going to need leverage. Jiu-Jitsu yeah. gives you leverage, you know. And uh, I, I think they benefit the most because... Obviously, with sexual assault, all that you're gonna be on the ground. That's where jujitsu thrives, yeah. you know. So, I think they get the most out of it compared to dudes who they can just swing at each other, and it's not as big as a deal. You know yeah. what I mean? Like the grappling is, you don't have to rely on it as much. Yeah. Not only that, like going back to what we were originally discussing, you just remind me of something. When the, in the women's division, there, there are less knockouts too. Yeah. So the crowd loves knockouts. Yeah. Right. That so is a good point. That is the lightweights also have less knockouts in the Correct. heavyweight division. A lot more knockouts in the heavyweight division because your brain doesn't get tougher as you get heavier. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but your hands get a lot heavier. Yeah, you know, do. so the, these things I think they 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 play a role in this uh, this conversation. But for sure, and, you know, like you said, since UFC is very striking based, the KO is the ultimate expression of winning. So yeah, heavyweights yeah. can do it within seconds at any moment of the fight. You but, know what I mean? Like yeah. Derek Lewis. 
<laughs> he was like losing five rounds or yeah. three rounds and then just one punch and five seconds out boom there's yeah. a there's an argument though like i just remind me like i think that, that you know the counter argument sounds like i'm counter arguing myself and this that is exactly what i'm doing like like you take a look at the fan, fans in japan for example right how educated they are so i i guess that it does show that the the, the power of education and changing things for sure. So I think that even though there might be a biological bias towards us leaning towards certain things in, in life in general, you know, I think that education goes a long way as well. Yeah. So in Japan, everyone has done judo at some point in their life. So they're at least familiar with it, right? Yeah. It's, they don't, you've never heard Japanese boo in general. But when the match is on the ground, the fight's on the ground, it's almost like a tennis match. Like you have 100,000 people in Saitama Arena and it's just crickets. Yeah, and then when like you know you remember Nogueira will be going for an armbar, and the crowd will be like, oh. you could see they were so excited because they understood what's going on. So I, I guess the, there are ways of you know certainly the public can be educated. The American public is a very Western slash boxing slash it's a bar fight slash I'm a tough guy and I'm gonna beat you up. You know, like there's a lot of that in the culture, and I think that the UFC reflects that a lot for sure, not by choice, just by pressure of. Of buys of economics, you know, like going back to economic issues, that is the key factor. I think it's it's the guiding factor in like just about everything we do in life. At the very bottom of things, we don't yeah. we don't like talk about it. like we like to be like, oh no, we're you know it's ideals and you know. But like I think at the bottom of things, like money talks. You know, we a lot of what we do is you know steered this way that way based off of economic situations. For sure, you know, and um. This kind of brings me into another topic, kind of similar, but, you know, as human beings, as animals, we're very short-sighted, right? And we always just focus on what's going to be good during our lifetime. Very rarely do we look a little bit, maybe for our children, that's about as far as we look, you know? So when you look at businesses and they're making their decisions, they're all based on that lifespan of that CEO, you know, like... How am I going to do well yeah. within my span? You know, like, yeah. do I have to throw garbage in the river? Yeah. Okay, it's not going to affect me. Yeah. No problem. And that's all I'm looking at. And then <laughs> the rest of history is all ruined, right? Yeah. Like, that's all I need to look at, you know? And I think... Which is suicidal when you think about it. For yeah. the species, not for yourself, but for, for yeah. longevity. It's and, scary. and people like to blame, like, oh, humans are the worst. Like, animals do it, too. You know, like... Uh, they don't even think that far ahead. Yeah, you know, like, like you put rodents into I, I think there's a island off boston or massachusetts i was watching a, a, a special about gene editing and all that on netflix and these rats are just destroying everything because yeah. there was no natural predators and they're eating up everything else right so over time they're going to destroy the environment and they'll probably won't be able to survive there and have to move off sound familiar yeah. it's what we do also right yeah what happens is we keep other animals in check you know, unfortunately there ain't animals that are keeping us in check you know what i mean so we're, we're allowed to grow beyond our natural means without an outside influence. Whereas animal populations, we're doing things like, you know, we put poison and pesticides and all this other stuff that creates more problems, but we're able to put those things in check. Uh, but bringing that back, I think uh, a lot of problems, like for just one of the things I want to talk about was like privilege. Like there's sometimes where people feel like they need to, like you have this student who's, feels like he needs to be promoted, right? Yeah. Because he's shown up X amount of times or yeah. he's been there for so long. And I, I find this happens a lot with fighters too, where, you know, 
as they start getting better, particularly when we do the sponsorship cases where we bring someone under a wing, they start getting greedy and they start getting short-sighted and not thinking long-term. So I just, I guess the point I'm trying to make here is just to stress that people need to little think just a little bit longer than just the immediate, you know? I, I feel like for the most part, a lot of people make mistakes in their lives because they're just looking at this. Yeah. Like, okay, I need this now and I'm just going to get that. I'm not going to look beyond that because once they look beyond them, like, oh crap, I yeah. need a, I've put myself in a path where I've screwed mm. up a lot, you know? I, I agree with you. I think there's, um, I mean, that's one of the topic of biology and, you know, now longevity. I, I saw, this is like an old statement. I can't remember where I saw it, but this is biologist. He made an argument. The average life expectancy of a species on the planet is 100,000 years. Mm. That's the light, the average, right? Some long, like bees have been around forever. Yeah. You know, other species don't, don't make it that far, right? The average is 100,000, right? Guess how long Homo sapiens has been around, more or less? Depending on what you call a Homo sapien, right? But most people would agree it's around 100,000 years. Mm. So we've created the means to our destruction. You know, we, we have all these things. Like, we, we're, we're so, we're more vulnerable than we like to think, you know? I think that we've conquered the animal world in a lot of ways, but I think there were a major catastrophe or nuclear Armageddon, right? A lot of animals would survive. We wouldn't. Yeah. You know, I don't think we'd make it, man. Yeah, those cockroaches would definitely go Cockroaches were, I think, I think, I don't know how rats would deal with radiation, but, like, they just seem to survive no matter what, man. It's amazing when you think of how adaptable rats are. Because if you, rats have gone into every part of the world where pretty much humans have gone, managing to sneak on boats. It's almost symbiotic because they're just on our, you know, they basically, like the sewer rats, the ones that are, you know, whatever their world, the population is. Yeah. It's much bigger than the human population. They are exactly where we are. <laughs> it's almost like they need us, you know. We're, to we're, ferret them along, yeah, because yeah, if we weren't driving, and, and apparently like, the rats will swim across islands and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, they're very adaptable. They're probably like one of the most adaptable ones. Yeah. I was watching about New York rats, and they're very smart in the sense that if they watch another rat eat poison and die, they're like, okay, I'm not eating that. And yeah. their rib cages actually expand and contract, and that's how they can go through pipes. That's insane. So like they can yeah. go up your toilet because yeah. they're able to. Their rib cage can flex in and out. Yeah. You know, so they have all these crazy adaptations that just make them really resilient and able I, to survive in many environments. It makes us think that like we're like, what do we do? We just we're we're just smarter than them. That's our only. I when I really get you want to get down to it, the only advantage we have all the run. It's just like we're just smarter. Yeah, that's our thing. Frank was talking about this, and he's right. Like that's our thing. We're smarter. We're not stronger. We're not faster. Not more adaptable. Like we're more susceptible to disease. We don't. You only survive in every environment. Well, actually, we have one very besides our brain. Our one of our best evolutionary assets is our heat dissipation. We can dissipate heat better than any other animal. For sweating. For sweating. Yeah. Most animals don't sweat. Which I think no animal sweats. I think think we're the only animal that sweats. Pigs, maybe. Yeah. I'm not sure, but yeah, most animals, they release heat to panting. Yeah. Right? And that's why they actually have a, there's a form of hunting called persistence yeah, hunting. Chase hunting. I, I call it chase hunting. Yeah. But it's, it still exists in It Africa. still exists in, in, I think, Africa and in the Aborigines yeah. also in Australia uh, would do it, where they could literally run down an animal, and not like a slow animal, they're talking about like an antelope or something. Yeah. And over a course of hours, eventually the animal fatigues and they just walk up to it, hit it with a spear, and it's done. And the reason why is because in order for the antelope to release heat or dissipate heat, 
they have to pant, but they can't pant while they run. They have to stop. They have to stop. So they have to stop. And then the humans catching up because they can, you know, sweat. They, they can dissipate heat. The other advantage, we can carry water with us. Yes. They have to find a water source at some point. Yeah. And we can chase them down, make them run past that water. They're eventually going to collapse out of dehydration or just overheat it and die. So that ability to dissipate heat has allowed us to That's survive huge. in many environments yeah. because we're able to do that. You know I mean, whereas most animals can't do that. Yeah, it's funny because we think of ourselves as slow. You're like, you just made a very good point. Like, in fact, we're, I mean, if it's a marathon, we're the fastest animal in the world. Yep. Because no other animal can, I mean, how a camel would do. Like, a camel can go in the desert for a long time. It might be one of those exceptions. It can hold camel, on to so maybe. much water. Yeah, they can hold but on But for the water. most part, you're right. We can out, outrun a, 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 a they do cheetah. It in, we yeah. can outrun a lion. Like, they do it just, in England. They, they have uh, races with horses and yeah. men. And the guy walking on foot beats the horse. Walking. Walking. It, again, it's because over time. Probably right? a whole day type yeah. thing. Yeah. So it's uh it's an amazing ability that we have. Yeah, that's besides. so crazy, right? And then we we yeah. take it for, we get annoyed by it, like oh yeah. god, I'm sweaty. But like yeah, this like, is one of the, that. Yeah, <laughs> it's one of those things that allows us to be like an endurance animal, yeah. you know. So it is an interesting aspect. But yeah, of course, yeah. obviously the brain is probably our, our best leverage, especially now with everything that we're able you to know, create. I look at jujitsu and I go like, jujitsu is just like our way of like. How can I be more like those animals over there? How can I be more like a gorilla or like a tiger, you know? Because we're so weak in comparison. Yeah. You know, we're so unathletic in comparison. And that that you just mentioned something super important, like the, the, the sweaty thing, I actually forgot about that. It's huge, man. But I think a lot of times that, you know, we are still very much in touch with this animal side and fighting is part of that. You know, like I think fighting is about the most primal thing you can do. Uh, I, we're biased to say this. I'm sure you're going to agree with me. I don't. Th- I can't think of anything more complex than fighting. Like, because it's it's a highly intellectual endeavor, right? It is. People think, oh, it's just like brute strength. Like that. If you say that, you've never trained before. It's highly intellectual. It's highly emotional. It's incredibly physically demanding. Like, what is harder than wrestling physically? I don't well, know. Like a multivariable calculus is pretty complicated. Yeah, but it's but like it's just but, that though. But it, yeah. it there, I think it's the combination. That fighting is definitely complex in the sense that you have a series of physical movements you have to do that you have yeah. to anticipate what your opponent's going to yeah. do, and then you you have to manage your energy resources. And so there are a lot of things going on in fighting, and the stakes are very high as well. You know what I mean? Whereas when you're doing something intellectually complex but just that you know like we talk about physics or or something the consequences usually are not really steep yeah unless you're in space or bowl of one yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) not knowing how to do math is going to get you killed yeah Yeah. i think it becomes very stressful (laughs) and very complicated but for the most part yeah i think fighting is definitely uh it's difficult because it's complete. That's, yeah. that's my point. It's not like the most like intellectually. I mean, quantum physics is more yeah. complex. I agree. Okay, but you know, it is pretty complicated intellectually. It's very, very. There's a lot of strategy going on. And like, I think it makes chess look simple. Chess players get mad at me when I say this, but it is because yeah. chess is two dimensional in the story. Fighting is three dimensional. Involves the human body with infinite possibilities, right? As far as movement goes, there's a lot more variation yeah. in human movement than there is in, in the chessboard, right? But then it's very emotionally demanding, and I get super hard, right? So when you put all this together, I have a hard time thinking of anything. I can think of things that are more, you know, 
maybe I intellectually demanded like that. Like there are things in life that are more emotionally demanding for sure. But when it comes to like the whole package, I think fighting is the most complete thing a person can do. Yeah, for sure. And like you said, because you do have lots of strategies to employ in fighting. Yeah. You can win fights in many different ways depending on your your skill sets and your opponent's skill sets. And you, you will vary them accordingly. So like Joe Rogan always loves to say, you know, it's like dynamic chess because it is in a way. And But... You know, in chess, the rook always moves, you yeah. know, forward and, and to the side, right? But in MMA, it's not always the case, yeah. right? Because depending on, like, how tired you are, maybe you can only move two instead of you would normally move yeah. ten, you know? And maybe the opponent you're facing has more than one queen because of the, the skill. So, like, yeah, there's a lot of things that are, are constantly changing. There's no, like, fixed variables. You know what I mean? Like, chess, everything's fixed. There's rules that are in play, and they always are in play. Yeah. But when you're in fighting, things are always in flux. You know, like the beginning of the fight, nobody's sweaty. Submissions and takedowns are easier. Yeah. As people start getting sweaty, now submissions have gotten so much more, more difficult. Yeah. Very difficult. You know what I mean? Like trying to get a single leg on somebody with no shoes on is freaking impossible because the feet just slide off. You know, and uh, you get tired and stuff. So then you're like, okay, the calculation has to be adjusted now. Like on how effective. My takedowns are going to be late in the fight, or how effective my submissions are going to be late in the fight. So yeah, that in that sense, it is more complicated because the you have to constantly make adjustments as everything starts changing throughout the fight. And not only that, when, when for instance, when in the chessboard, if a piece moves forward, it might be placed in a slightly different corner of the square, but that has no implications in the game, right? right? When you take a step forward, if you're stepping here, here. And depending on how fast or slow you step and how steady your foot is, and if you have a knee injury or an ankle injury, that all plays a role in the outcome. Whereas in a chessboard, when you place your pawn right here, it has no technical implications. It doesn't matter where in the square it is, and the pawn doesn't get injured. Yeah. It either it's dead or alive. Right. So it's very binary, binary yeah. yeah, in terms of like what is what is we rook uh, 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 the, the the tower though you call it the tower the the right. castle okay, yeah it can only go you know it's but it comes to human movement you know it's more complex than gymnastics man like even gymnastics is super complex and you know there's a lot of amazing things gymnasts do but I think fighting is it's infinite you know I think a good demonstration of how complicated it is is think about the UFC games I mean I haven't played them in I played them and I think when they first came on the yeah. Xbox I don't Dreamcast. think they're I, I don't think they're yeah I think it was yeah, Dreamcast, Dreamcast. Yeah, if yeah. you don't know what a Dreamcast is yeah. you're too young <laughs> yeah so going from there they haven't really changed too much maybe they added two buttons or four yeah. buttons whatever but still like try to make a game that you can control with your hands that will perfectly replicate what you could do in the fight. Possible. They don't come even close. You know, like you close. have grapple button or grapple high, grapple and low. And they do a good job. I'll give yeah, you yeah. that. Yeah, you're, you're approximating as best yeah. as you possibly can while not making it overly complicated because yeah. like you only have, you know, 10 fingers. Where you start getting your feet in there. Like you would need hundreds of buttons to be able yeah. to do everything. Virtual reality is probably going to be the closest they're going to get to. And then they're going to need to put the little sensors everywhere. It, so, like, if you're trying to say, like, how can you, like, mimic the complexity of fighting just with a joystick or even a keyboard? Like, you can't. It's just, yeah. there's too much nuance. Like you said, like, the foot placement being here versus and, here is all the difference. And you know? where's the anxiety? Where's the fear? Where's the broken, the yeah. bad knee? Where's the, the, the herniated disc? Exactly. Are the conditioning? You, know, you notice your video game character. I used to play, 
that game first came out, I was like, I don't play, I haven't played video games in years. But when yeah. that Grand Theft Auto thing came out, Vice City, <laughs> I was playing that game like eight hours a day. I couldn't stop playing. And I kept thinking, man, this guy's got amazing cardio because <laughs> he just runs across town, never stops running. You know, we don't factor these things in. But once you throw all of that in, you know, uh, it's you can't you can't mimic it. You can't replicate it. Even with like in virtual reality, it's still gonna be. Let's say you have a suit, no no actual sensor. Yeah. You have a suit, like a which are probably not very far away from from having that, right? And you have your goggles, and you're actually in a fight against Khabib. Yeah. You know, and in the video game. Khabib's not going to be the real Khabib, obviously. They're yeah. going to have level easy, medium, and hard. You're in there. Where's the anxiety? Yeah. You know, where's the fear? Where's the preparation? Where's the, the coaching? All the shit's going on in your life that's like, you know, and on your mind the day of the fight, you know? Like, you can't. There, it's so stressful. Yeah. It's so mentally challenging. There's no way you can replicate. There's, I, I, I know I'm biased, but I cannot think of, oh, I'm scared of, like, skydiving. Yeah. Bungee jumping. Okay, bungee jumping is pretty scary. All right, I'll give you that. But that's it. There's no technique to it. You just fucking jump. You know, right. like, I'm, I'm the same way. Like I've never yeah. bungee jumped before, but I've skydived. Yeah, I had no problem doing it. Like it was yeah. easy. For some reason, bungee jumping is more. I, it, because you can see the floor. That's my. I, I've never done either, but like I want to do both. But I think it has to. You 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 can see the the floor in front of you. It feels like you're gonna like mm. you're. I, I don't feel know, it's this. like more sketch. I don't know. I feel like I I don't trust it as much as a parachute reason, as, a, as a parachute for yeah. some reason. I saw that there's a there's an old like VHS series called called Faces of Death or something. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a really old and there's like all these horrible ways of dying, and these people are bungee jumping and falling. You know the 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 cord snaps. The cord is or it's too long. They measured it wrong. The oh, guy falls on his head, yeah. you know, straight into his death. Be the but, first one. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, no, but like it's it's terrifying, Dave. But it's not. It doesn't. It, that's it. It ends there. Like yeah. you know, quantum physics is complex. Yeah, yeah. But it ends there. There's there's all these other yeah, things. The consequences that, of fighting and losing are could be very devastating. Yeah, there's so many variables. They they that's why I think I cannot think of anything more complex. Yeah, you know, like I think it's the consequences that make it so much more difficult. You know, I did play a game once. You know, I think it was called Aliens versus Predator. Like, oof, like yeah. a long time ago. But they had a mode in that game which was called like hard mode, yeah. where you weren't allowed to save the game at all. And you had to play it in one go. And the level... I hated those games. The level yeah. was like... It was a first-person shooter, but it was like a 30-minute long level. So imagine you're playing like 25 minutes and then you get killed like... You know, oh, the you last start all minute, over again. And you have to start all the way over again. You're like, motherfucker. This is so you know, frustrating, like, yeah. But and it's an Aliens versus Predator universe, so it's scary. You know, like you have like yeah. aliens jumping out and it's all yeah. pitch black. And, it, and they did a really good job making the game. And yeah. I remember I would play it and I got killed in the last minute. I'm like, on. But like, that was like the best like approximation of like, yeah. you know, the anxiety. Because you're like, oh, I know there's something coming out here. And yeah, like, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, you get tense and all that. But like, even then... Not that scary because I'm not going to actually yeah. die. You know what I mean? It's just like yeah. wasted time, right? But like, imagine if you're playing a video game, the consequence was death. Like, I would right. never play the game. No way, man. No. <laughs> I would never play yeah. it. But like fighting, the consequence is potentially death, but usually just a lot of injury. You know? I would, uh, my, I've always been drawn to combat. Like, it's it's my nature. talking about nature, I guess. Yeah. So all the video games I played, I didn't like the... I mean, I did the the car ones, like whatever. I, I was like, I, combat was always my favorite yeah, thing, right? Yeah. I remember I was playing that Street Fighter too. Since we're talking about video games, yeah. man, I would get, 
I would get so angry over every time I ate. I remember, like, I think I've probably broken, like, three, four remote controls at least. <laughs> I never broke the actual console because that was, like, way too expensive. And I knew I wasn't going to get a new one. But remote control, I can afford a new one, right? So, But I was that kid. I just hated losing, man. But uh, I remember, like, uh, yeah, just being obsessed with that game. You know, like, it's, it was just something that was... Even, like, when I was with the games I played as a kid, it was everything had to do with G.I. Joe's and He-Man. You well, know, yeah, I, I think we, like I think it's just a lot of the cartoons, at least when we we're growing up in the eighties, you know, they're, in, they're all like violence based. I think yeah. most, I think if you look at most cartoons or you think there's always some element of violence in it because, like you said, it's a very human part of nature. It's also yeah. a very interesting part. You put up a if you know suddenly right now me and Robert talking and then we see two little people here start fighting. Nobody's gonna listen to what me and you are saying. They're gonna be, whoa, what's up? Yeah, those would, people I, fighting. We you know would I mean? stop talking. Yeah, <laughs> no matter how good the we'll commentating. Like, yeah, hey, what's going on? Exactly. Yeah. Like a fight always draws people's attention. Yeah. You know, like it's just something. I think that there is there there are some dark features of, of human nature. There's no doubt. We can. The reason I like history so much. People think that psychology is a window into human mind. I don't believe that. I don't think psychology is a window. I think the greatest window we have is history. Because in history, it tells you what we're capable of. Mm-hmm. History tells the true story of you, of us, right? And there is definitely, I mean, there, there is an inclination that perhaps boys have, perhaps testosterone, the, the, the fault of testosterone makes you more aggressive. Sure. But this is why martial arts are so important, because if that is indeed the case, right? Some people, oh, that's not the case. We're not violent. It's all culture. I'm like, look at our history. You know, we so the, the so the beauty of martial arts is that it is a way of channeling that channeling that that aggression in a very positive way. I'm not a violent person. Right. Anyone who knows me, if anything, I'm almost like people talk shit to me. I'm like, I should probably do something. I know I should be angry now, but I'm not. <laughs> like people offend me. Yeah. I remember like being like people get into arguments with people. They offend me, and I'm like, I probably should be upset, but I just don't get upset. You know, I just don't have that because I'm. I guess my aggression is left on the mats. Yeah. You know, and it's always in a very positive way because I can go to war with you and it's never personal. Right. And even if you pop my arm, I know you didn't do it on purpose. It wasn't you, malicious. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So it's like it's never. But there is a lot of aggression on the mats because we can go to war. Yeah. Like sure. in the sense where I'm actually trying to take you down as hard as I can to the point where I am exhausted. And if I stop trying to take you down or sweep you, it's because I have nothing left, you know, but no one actually got hurt. There's no hate. That's when people say that MMA is violent. MMA is not violent. Violence involves hate. You see? Yeah. MMA is an extreme sport. It is an intense sport. Yeah. Like motocross sure. is, is an extreme sport. It's intense. Yeah. Far more injuries in, 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 in football and motocross than yeah. in MMA. Yeah. Yeah, Deadly was... ones at that. You know, maybe not the case of NFL so much, but in motocross for sure, like car racing, all that. No, that's it's even the worst sport. Yeah. Cheerleading. Hurt, a lot of injuries? Tons of injuries. Yeah, because like, apparently, because all those flips they do yeah. a lot of aerobatics, someone so falls. Let's and let's call cheerleading feet. violent. Then does that fly? <laughs> that doesn't fly, does it? Yeah. So fighting is not violent in the in the sense where there's no hate involved. Even if there's a lot of trash talking, yeah. it's just for ticket sales. There's yeah. no real hate. Yeah. Truth is, they respect each other. Because, proof of the fact that they respect each other is that they're training really hard to beat one another. Correct. And that's evidence, compelling evidence that they actually do respect each other. But I don't think MMA or BJJ, or martial arts in general, are violent in that sense. I think that they're very intense sports. Violence, to me, involves anger. Like, deep-seated anger, hate. Like, you know, 
Yeah, or at least some at least some social issues, you know. I get what you mean. Yeah, it's just a different interpretation. But that, I I agree. I think most people when they say, oh, like they used to say fight, like fighting MMA is human cockfighting or whatever. It's trying to draw that association where it's just violence for violence sake, yeah. right? It's just we want to see blood and guts. Like no, that's not what fighting is you know, about. Those comments they exclusively come from people that have no understanding what's going on. You know what the funny thing is about fighting is that it was one of the few. I mean, there's some things that I think we should all have an opinion on. Like politics, to me, is something that if you're mentally sane, right? If you're not a child, if you're a, a healthy, mentally healthy adult, you should have an opinion on politics. For sure. Because the world you live in depends on that, right? But when it comes to things like quantum physics, I don't open my mouth. You know why? Because <laughs> I don't understand it. Yeah. When it comes to like, you know, there, are, you know, every now and then I'll be trying to read something that probably it's it's just it's beyond my comprehension. I am not trained to have an opinion on it. I don't understand it right and i kind of know maybe sometimes i push that but like for the most part i think i know where i should and shouldn't comment right but when it comes to fighting people are so everyone's opinionated everyone seems to know what's going on like this is too violent this is not real uh, this is a, a um you know cream and cock fighting or you should have done this you should have done that and my take on it like if you're once you've been trained for a long time you should probably not talk about you can watch it and appreciate it, but you probably shouldn't have a strong opinion on it. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's a lot more, it's a lot deeper than your average person thinks yeah. it is. Because everybody has probably been in a fight at some point physically with a sibling or whatnot. And then you your basic grasp of that is like, oh, I understand what fight is about. Yeah. yeah. Like, no, it's like saying, I understand, you know, you know physics or like quantum physics because you know i took a science class in elementary school yeah exactly like, like no it's not right. the same thing there's <laughs> yeah. levels to the game you yeah. know and you're like here and yeah. mma is like way up there you know so i but I, I think a lot of those comments actually were politically motivated and economically motivated yeah. i think uh it was senator john mccain at yes, the time i remember who he was uh i'm not sure he had a stake i think or he had he was lobbied by anheuser-busch who at the time was heavy into WWE. Oh, there we go. So the the rise of MMA and UFC was a it was a competitor to that. So I think they lobbied him to hey get rid of of course uh, get is, rid of this competition. This is how. So I don't believe in idealist idealistic politicians make it that far. The status quo, your average status quo politician is going to look at like where is the public opinion leaning. The majority of people feel this way, that's where I stand now. The majority of people feel that way, that's where I stand. They go according to the wind. As the wind changes, they they flip-flop. And you see this a lot. So, like, you know, does McCain, really, did he really have an opinion on MMA? Probably not. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's it's exactly, I didn't, I didn't know that, but it makes perfect sense. And yeah, that's politicians for you. They, not a lot of, you know. Yeah, it's very rare to have someone who's idealist because they don't really last long enough because the people who are getting their pockets lined by lobbyists are going to be able to stay around longer and campaign more. 100%. And and then you have more. I think lobbying is like single-handedly probably the biggest problem in Washington. It's not something people talk about because both parties are deeply involved in it. So everyone's like, oh, let's pretend it doesn't happen. It's like these guys are straight out buying elections. They're buying our Congress people. You know, they're, they're, you know... They've rigged the whole system to their favor. Like the private sector is deeply entrenched in Washington, and no one seems to think that that's a problem. Yeah, it seems. I mean, we're probably again talking out of our depth. But I agree with you in the sense that it seems insane to me. Like, why are people allowed to 
you know, lobby and give like financial incentive and stuff like yeah. that to people who are making policy. Yeah. You know, it's one thing that you're supposed to be educated on it. And I, I get that. But it's another thing when I'm able to stuff money in, in your pocket to make to sway your decision, you know, because yeah. to me, it's just pretty much a nice way of saying bribing, you know. So, yeah, I, don't, I think the whole lobbying thing is a bunch of BS. You, you, like, you they, they said, like, uh, I forgot, they should be, like, NASCAR drivers. And so they put all the it might as well, their suits on <laughs> like, all well. the sponsors, you know? Yeah. At least we know who's paying for them. Yeah. Exactly. You know? I just learned this recently, and this blew my mind. It makes perfect sense. But I, you know, I dealt with court not too, you know, too long ago. You know about it. Yeah. And I didn't know this. But, you know, well, judges are elected. You know that, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. Everyone knows judges are elected in the United States. Guess who pays for their campaign? Imagining mostly us, but I'm, I'm guessing there's probably some private investment also. Attorneys, law firms. Ah, uh, law firms. Of course, that makes sense. It's a hundred thousand dollars for your campaign, buddy. Yeah. So, yeah, what does that say about? Yeah, that seems very conflicted. <laughs> a little bit of it. I mean, I'm sure that it's not out in the. I don't know. I don't exactly. I don't know the details. Like, if it's out in the open or not, if it's legal or not. But you would expect that to happen. Yeah, in a corrupt system, you would expect that to happen, right? It's unfortunate. That's why I think, to me, like we're talking about, like having an educated opinion. There are certain things that I believe everyone should have an opinion on. Like this is one of them because it's not complicated. Fighting is complicated. Quantum physics, complicated. Lobbying, not complicated. Right? We, you could have an opinion on that all day. It's not very like anyone can understand. You yeah. know what? You, in fact, you could be illiterate and still get it. You know, it's, it's like you don't even need an education to understand something like that. It's straight up, right out in the open for everyone to see. Yeah, and you are right that everybody who's participating in this country or whatever country you're in, you should know the rules of it. Yeah. Because you're, you're playing by it whether you want to or not, <laughs> right? Like It's kind of like how we talked about how a football player would be silly not to know all the rules of football. You know, yeah. I mean, like, well... This is the rules of life, you know, or at least a society you're participating in, and you don't know all the rules, or you don't, you don't, you don't want to educate yourself yeah. in them. It's kind of like you're being willfully ignorant, which yeah. is one of the worst things you could do in in your life is to choose to be ignorant on something that affects you so drastically. And I'm to blame. I think you're everyone's to blame. Yeah, that yeah, we could yeah. always, you know, know more, but it's funny how like we end up spending so much time learning things that are completely meaningless to the. To our own well-being, be selfish to your own well-being. Don't even think about your country. Right? Just think about yourself. Just be selfish for a second. Think about how much we know. These kids know about video games, and adults sometimes. Oh, celebrity and like, news and celebrity and news. Like what? You know what's the like? Brad Pitt buys a new puppy. What's his name? You know, yeah. he pooped twice today. Like people care. It blows my mind. You know, and ask him like, hey, could you name, you know, name of a senator? Like they're not interested. They don't want to do it. You know, like little things like that. But it's it's funny how that works. I think TV probably plays a role, but I put most of the blame on, on ourselves. No, for sure. People are always blaming media and blame the the, well, blame the Illuminati. It's an easy way of solving the problem, right? Illuminati. It becomes like some conspiracy. It's like no, it's it's us. We we're we're the ones buying it. We're paying for it. So. I had a, a friend of mine and Finland Timo. Oh, he had made me realize how ignorant I was of probably the most important function that I have being alive just breathing wow right like he was teaching me different ways of breathing yeah. you know and uh, he had me do a test like okay i want you to do as many push-ups as you can right now and i did him and i forgot how many it was he said okay now we're gonna do a breathing meditation led me to do it because okay now go 
and he had me do it with a specific breath pattern. And I ended up doing like 20 more push-ups. Really? Yeah, and just after doing them. So like, it's not the other way around, you know yeah. what I mean? So like, I should have done less technically, right? Tired, I was yeah. fatigued. And I did more. And I was like, whoa. I said, yeah, because you're, you know, you weren't properly energized, blah, blah, blah. Like, man, it, it makes so much sense. Of course, breathing is important. We have to do it to live, you know? And like, But nobody takes the time to get to better live, at yeah. it. It's just like, oh, this is enough. You know what I mean? Like, I'm alive. Okay, yeah. that's all I Yeah, yeah, it's good. I'm, yeah, mission accomplished. <laughs> mission accomplished. But, like, there's technique involved, you know? So it made me realize, man, like, I need to put more time into learning how to breathe, you know? Like, it's such a basic thing. But just like, sure, a jab is basic. But do you know all the different ways on how yeah. to jab? You know, do you know how to do a fainted or how to step, do a jab backwards or forward, left, right, you know, slip while you jab? There's a lot of ways you could do a jab, right? And you can get very technical with it. I think a simple function like breathing is the same way based on the little that I've seen of it. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of different ways you can breathe in yoga. There's a lot of stuff on yoga and breathing. And What's his name? Uh, Timo, I can't get his. Bring last him out name. here. He's yeah. gonna be on the podcast yeah. next time he's in Vegas. Because I would like to learn more about this. Yeah. I've heard a lot about it. I have realized I've caught myself holding my breath in jujitsu before because it's it's a reflex. You hold your breath because your core is stronger when you hold your breath, yeah. right? Yeah. But learning how to breathe while you're strong is difficult, right? So what I, a lot of times I tell my students is like like the sound of a flat tire. <laughs> yeah. Because it you can keep your core rigid. Let's say you're armbarring someone or passing someone guard while breathing versus holding your breath. But it's super hard to keep that habit, create that habit of doing it without reminding yourself. It's so hard to do. Uh, I would love to learn more about it. I know you're completely ignorant on the topic. Oh, yeah. If you want to get, you know, jumbled up on breathing, just go to a yoga class. If you've never done yoga, like I went to like a, a, one of my students, Enrico Coco, you know, he's not a student anymore, but he was at the time. He had brought me to a, a yoga and he's a super flexible guy. But I guess he brought me to like an advanced class. And it's my first time doing <laughs> yoga, you know? And they're like, okay, downward dog, breathe in, I'll exhale, boot back. We breathe in. And like, there's so many things going on. I'm like, I, I'm, I'm going to die because I, I'm trying to keep up with the breathing pattern yeah. and I'm totally off, you know? So it's like, it's just like another sign, like, man, there, there's a lot of complexity involved and in even something that's simple that we've just taken for granted, you know? Uh, I've learned a lot more about this just by weight training because before I never really paid too much attention to the technique. Yeah. It's just, oh, lift the bar up yeah and then like now that i've started studying videos i mean oh actually when you're doing the bench press you're supposed to put your shoulder blades back you know lift your arch your back and you know keep your feet parallel bar distance and and then i I start seeing it's kind of like jujitsu you know there's there's technique to everything you know when you're doing the arm bar everybody could just do this but when you pinch the knees and you dig your heels and you know you you attack the grip you know it's funny like you you hear these things and sometimes you know something you know it on a very superficial level. And we talked about this, but your mind has not absorbed that, right? So I recently started like killing it with arm bars from closed guard. Now I had not done arm bars from closed guard well since I was a blue belt when I was training with other white belts, and I can arm bar them because they just try to grab my neck, right? Basically, it's like well, arm bar from closed guard is almost like something like oh these don't work anymore. And I've recently gotten back into them. Some technique that I've developed, but like something that really made a difference when the guys were stacking me and there's that struggle when you're trying to extend the arm and they're leaning on you and sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. I just started putting all the focus, not so much on my hands. It's not that my arms weren't working, but on my glutes. I was like in making sure that my glutes were involved in the arm bar versus just trying to extend the arm. So like, you know, pinch my feet down, you know, squeeze my butt cheeks and really try to get my hips in there as I apply pressure on the arm. 
my arm bars just got, I feel like I got like 50% stronger just by doing that. And I realized I wasn't doing that. Like I get the arm bar and I could not finish from the bottom because I'm so focused on this and that's I'm forgetting about the rest of the body. Now it's something super simple. And you explain this to me, I'm like, yeah, yeah, of course I know that. But you're not doing it. Yeah. It was only like when I started doing it repeatedly that I realized how important it was and how long I had neglected something, even though I knew it. Yeah. It's the difference between knowing something and really knowing something and actually doing something, right? Like incorporating that that into your game. I think it, it takes a certain amount of awareness, like you're saying, just to like, okay, let me focus on everything that's going on when I do this technique. And break it down to the most basic elements, right? Like, because uh, most people they grab the armbar and then they're focusing a lot on the hip bridge, right? And usually, when you're doing the mounted armbar, that's your focus, right? Trying to get a high hip bridge. But like, are you focusing on everything else? Like, what are your hands doing? How are you gripping? Where are you gripping? Right? Are you grabbing around the thumb? Or are you grabbing around the wrist? Are your knees pinching in? Your heels digging in? How are your hips? Are you saying using your glutes? Like. There's a lot of little details that you can dig out. And I think a lot of the best benefits that you get are your moves. The biggest increases come from those small points. Yeah. Right? Like, I know, like, I always blow people's mind when I teach Kimura from side control. Because most people, when they do the Kimura from side control, they step up. And that's the first thing they do. And then they try to yank. Yeah. And then, like, I tell them, like, don't do that. I don't want to create space. If I can put my point on my, sh- my chest right on your shoulder yeah you've done that to me and yeah. like you you can barely move and it's an instant tap you know yeah. what i mean it doesn't require much strength that's a small detail you know but like that one little detail that's maybe a three percent of the move creates 80 percent of the benefit yeah you know so a lot of times like you know the stuff you just haven't focused on you're, you might be doing it but not focusing on it right yeah. so like if like people want to get better at their jujitsu or just anything in general you know like Break down whatever it is that you're doing into every different element of it. Because what's going to happen, like you said, there's stuff that you're doing unconsciously that you hasn't registered into your consciousness. And then when you actually bring it down, you're like, oh, wait, there's this part of the move that I'm kind of doing, but I haven't really dug into it enough. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, I find, like, for me, that's how, like, I get a lot more out of my moves. When And you get that a lot when you teach, right? Like, you know, like, the more you teach... There's some people that they don't get the move. They don't even see it at all. Yeah. And then, like, you have to figure out, like, okay, what is it that he's missing? He's missing this part. Yeah. Here you go. And you're like, oh, sh- crap. I never even really paid attention to that part. Yeah. It just happened. And now that I, I know this, let me focus on this part and make it really strong. Yeah. And then you can see a, a huge gain. It doesn't require you to be super intelligent or know no, crazy it's just things. Focusing a little it bit. just requires a focus. I noticed that teaching has been single handedly the best teacher to me. I have learned more jujitsu through teaching than I did through actually attending class. For sure. It sounds like I'm full of it, but like it, it takes an instructor to see the yeah. appreciate you breaking down what you do to your student. You go, Oh wow, I didn't realize I do I I did that or to go, Oh, what if I do it this way? Because when you slow it down, you're able to see things on a very um, logical level and not just because a lot of times when you're grappling you're doing stuff you don't even realize it's yeah. just instincts and you're just and sometimes they're the right things yeah and sometimes they're the wrong things but when you slow it down you're able to you know make a distinction between right and wrong like or better or worse let's I avoid using right and wrong in jiu-jitsu better or worse right and um yeah i mean so for me like teaching has been the greatest teacher you know and for sure like i know like I made the, like, 
Kimura Trap System back in 2007, and it's gotten better all the time. And Rob, I don't grapple as much as nearly as I used to, right? And but I've taught it more, and as a result, but the teaching, just like I'm saying, I uncover things that I do unconsciously and bring them into conscious awareness. I think that's like how you can get the most leverage out of anything. When yeah. you can consciously see every part of the move, then you know which part of the move actually has the most leverage. But if you just do it or you just mimic a move, like I can grab anybody, like, okay, here's an overhand right, mimic it. And you could do it, but you're just getting an approximation of what it is, yeah. right? Until you realize, okay, I got to rotate the shoulder, hand up, turn the wrist over, close yeah. it, you know, and then you can maximize the move, you know. I mean, there's so many ways that I've I've learned to do that. Just even with closing a fist, you know, uh, I like I I don't like hitting the heavy bag with gloves. I always do it bare knuckle, because what I found is that when you wear gloves, you tend to have a soft hand, yeah. because the glove is giving all you this padding. You generally you like you don't really flex it as much. Yeah. And I can hit the bag hard, and the wrist supports brace yeah. your wrist. So even if you're hitting with bad form, like I'm hitting like this, yeah. it'll take the shock. When you hit bare knuckle on the bag. And you hit it like this, it hurts wow. I instantly. I never thought about that, but it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Because the other thing, too, is you have to strengthen the bone density. And impact is going to do that. Sure when you is. have a soft pad, and then you have big gloves, and then you have your hand wraps, you have this much of a layer between. Yeah, you have a cast on you. Yes, yeah. exactly. So it actually, it takes, and I don't know if you're getting the same muscle, uh, the, the bone density you would if you were actually just hitting the bag bare knuckle. You're right, because like sometimes I hit the bag bare knuckle, just like goofing around. And I know I have to really place my hand correctly because yeah. if my hand is slightly off, I know I'm going to hurt myself. Yeah, especially if you're, th yeah. you're putting some power in it. Like, yeah. You'll realize that you can't hit as hard bare knuckle, yeah. especially if you're not conditioned. Yeah. And uh, because you're, you haven't trained your hand well enough to hit bare knuckle. And yeah, when you hit a glove, I can go all out on it and I don't have to worry about hurting my hand. But in fighting, in street fighting, it's common to break your hand because yeah. you, know, you don't have perfect technique. And hitting the skull is a really hard object. So I tell people, if you don't, unless you're a trained boxer or you've been hitting pads for a long time, you know what you're doing in a fight, open hands. <laughs> I'm serious yeah, because yeah, yeah. the odds of you hurting your hand are greater than you actually hurting your opponent with your hands unless your hands are trained. Yeah. Because people, the most common thing, I remember like growing up, my friends, I didn't get in a lot of fights, but my friends were getting into fights like every weekend. It's like, like every other month, there'd be a friend of mine with a broken hand. You know, and it's like, and it took me a long I thought it was normal. Like, yeah, you get in a fight, you break your hands. Like, no, you don't know how to hit, bro. Yeah, yeah. And then they're hitting people in the top of the head with, <laughs> yeah, a, yeah, yeah. with their pinky, you know. They don't know how to turn their punches. So some advice, self-defense situation, unless your hands are trained, open palm. Because you can still do damage. Oh, for sure. Yeah. If you know, I mean, if you got some natural pop in your arms or if, in case you're not trained, you can still knock someone out with open hand. Uh, yeah, but there's no risk of injury. Oh, absolutely. That base of the palm, that's like their, your best place yeah. to take a shot yeah. because you get a straight column. Yeah. That's a problem with where people are breaking their hands. <laughs> yeah. Was it a fight? Was it a uh, fight last that night? was a weight training accident. I rolled my wrist. That's or, what he said. I don't know. <laughs> but usually when you're hitting here, this is yeah. all flexy. So it rolls, rolls, yeah. rolls, and you yeah. hurt your hand that way easily. You know. So yeah, I, it was actually one of my black belts, John Manuel. He had told me he had read a uh, book from John Dempsey. Was a famous barrel uh, boxer from old times, and he had knocked out a horse or something yeah. like that. He never trained with wraps or gloves. He always hit bare knuckle, and it was because he said it, it was going to increase his grip strength. Yeah, because you have to. You had to, when you're hitting bare knuckle, you have to keep a really tight fist. Yeah, because if your fist is loose, one, 
you're softening impact because as your hand closes, yeah. it's taking away power from the punch. But then two, that means you're loose here. You're going to flex. Such a great point. I'm so going to make my you, guys hit pat the bag with the yeah. bare knuckles now. Yeah. Makes su- because you're right. Like when I hit, I'm goofing around, it's exactly what I do. I make sure my hands are perfectly positioned, right? With the gloves, you don't do that. Yeah, you don't have to. And because you have so much wrist support, your chances of you rolling your wrist are, are none. Yeah. But like... Yeah, if you're doing this all the time, you got to focus on keeping that column straight. you got to turn your wrists a little bit down. There's more wrist, like, though, because if you put a little too much into it and your wrist is not prepared, I can see you getting injured. For sure. The no, gloves you gotta, prevent that. you gotta start. You, you got to start slow. Yeah. Like when you go, like I know when I first started doing it, I'm like, damn, I'm hurting my hands. I said, yeah, and I remember, it's like, you got to go slower. Yeah. You're hitting too hard for yourself. you got to build yeah. your way up, you know, so... In the beginning, you're like, man, this is not nearly as much mustard as you can normally put. It's but over only, time, yeah. like now, I don't have a, I can throw as hard as I normally could without a problem, you know. But even then, like, your stamina to hit hard also kind of fades because as you start getting tired, this wrist support gets a little shakier. So, like, if you're hitting, like, you could do, like, three 15-minute rounds and hitting pads or hitting the bag with gloves is not a big deal. And I can go hard the whole time, but, like, with bare knuckle, I find that I can't do it that long. Because as I start getting tired, my wrist starts giving in a little bit more, and then I have to hit softer in order not to hurt myself. So one thing that might explain you you starting to hurt your hands there is that you if you're hitting with gloves all the time, right, what happens is that power from your shoulders and your body mechanics is still there. Is your hand matching that power in terms of the the endurance and the the, the conditioning necessary yep. to deal with that power. Exactly. Fine with the glove, take your gloves off or even put small gloves. I think that explains why so many UFC fighters break their hands. It's not just the gloves are smaller. It might be that the the power they've developed is, it's almost like having um, a car whose engine is way too strong for exactly. the body. Exactly, yeah. You know, yeah. so the engine is too powerful, but the body is not, you know, is at odds with the, that power. Yeah. You know, and for sure, you don't have to, Go bare knuckle and hit the glove. But if you're going to wear the gloves, just try to keep that in mind that inside the glove, yeah, like roll it in. keep the yeah, same it, yeah, intention. You, you know? got to roll it in just like, yeah, so to make sure these knuckles align with the, uh, what's it, the radio. What's yeah, the yeah, other one? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, to keep that straight. And then you're keeping the form strong. So you're hitting with a solid support because it will make your punches harder. Yeah. You know, like you will hit harder from that because there's less roll in your punch. See, tons of knowledge, tons of technique. <laughs> highly intellectual yeah, so this, I, it's my biggest peeve is like people associating fighting with like a meathead that doesn't you know I hate that stereotype it's a common one it is you know, yeah. you know? Yeah, I mean there there are people out there there are meatheads that they fight they can fight good but they're, they're I think they're more the exception than the they're the exception you're right especially when they're good fighters but the thing is even if you're illiterate you've never read a book in your life even if you don't know anything about anybody Fighting is still highly intellectual because it involves a very specific kind of intelligence yep. that has nothing to do with being book smart, right? Or even street smart. It is a, it's its own kind of intelligence. I had known guys that were not intelligent in anything they did except for fighting. Yep. When they came to fighting, they were just like bordering on genius. You know, they did every little thing about their mind was just like geared for that, right? So yeah. anyway, Dave, I think that's... Uh, we pushed it today. I hope yeah. you guys enjoyed. Yeah, that's, I think uh, that's a good time to wrap it up. We yeah. um, we went over the place. We started with uh, <laughs> equality and payments. Yeah. There's a petition online about it, and I yeah. I sub- I would sign it. Like, don't get me wrong. I, it's just I don't think it's you know, like you like you're saying. It's kind of artificial, right? Yeah. It's not 
I, I, I would love it, like you said, if we had a whole boost of women suddenly starting, or not men, anybody who wants to watch women fight, yeah. right? Yeah, let's get more viewers in there. You know, like I want more fighters to be successful, and you know, and whether they're men, women, little, big, whatever. But it's got to be real. You know, like you said, like we, we only have so many angel investors out there that are willing to throw money and not get a yeah. return back. You know, it's not a long term feasible plan. It's not sustainable. Plan. It's yeah. not sustainable. Yeah. Exactly right. Like that's the kind of the problem we have with grappling. Right. Like they're usually propped up. They're, yeah. It's really hard to get the demand purely in the grappling sport. Again, probably because of education issues. Right. Yeah. Like we don't have enough people who know early in. But. Uh, with female fighters or for lightweights, you know, I think, like I said, my best advice to them, get a good marketing game going, get a good personality, you know, build that character. Don't expect just because your virtue of your of your talent and your abilities that that's going to be the ticket. Because, man, there's so many amazingly talented people that are undiscovered, yeah. you know, and like... If with amazing the, stories. Yeah, and they're, they're yeah. exactly, they're fantastic people, you know, but they just don't get recognized and it's because of the failure to market yourself, you know, like... You could have the most amazing product in the world that can cure cancer and all that, but if nobody knows it because you live in the Amazon yeah. and you have it, you know, it's like some herbal thing, you're not going to be successful with and it. You know what I mean? We could maybe have this talk on some other podcast where we like, how do we, is there a way of being, of marketing yourself and being ethical? Because a lot of what's going on, we talked a little about this in other podcasts, but like a lot of it is crossed that line in my opinion. And we're seeing it more and more because it works. Yeah. Right. So yeah, we can talk about that. Some yeah, we can talk time. about it sometime. Yeah, I think it's doable, though. Sure. I, I think it. so. It's, yeah. it's harder, though. Yeah. I remember, like, just to wrap it up. You remember yeah. we played those uh, role-playing games, like RPGs, yep, yep, like Dungeons yep. and Dragons. I used to super geek. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was a teen. I, I, I played Dungeons and Dragons on the on the table and everything. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> the, there's one, a Star Wars one, and okay. you could choose between being a Jedi or a Sith Lord. Okay. Like, everyone wants to be the Jedi course right yeah. but the sith lord can do stuff that the jedi can't do <laughs> the sith lord has like some some added powers and benefits so they as soon as people see that they don't want to be the sith you know so like that's how i look at these things like you want to be the jedi or the sith you know when it comes to like marketing, marketing like yeah, yeah because it's true if you do things that are like on the sith side of things you know um it's easier you get you know there are more faster rewards yeah there's definitely faster rewards going that way but uh, it's funny because whenever I play role playing games yeah. I always tell myself I want to play the evil guy but then when you actually get the decisions I'm like yeah. no I can't do that I don't, I don't know. <laughs> it's, a, it's a game it's a game <laughs> I always also found in RPG games I would hoard yeah. everything like yeah. I would like okay I gotta save all these potions and items because yeah. I'm gonna need it and then I finish the game and I have everything I'm like I'm Never a hoarder <laughs> <laughs> you know? no, you oh leave. man we can talk uh, we gotta talk RPG one day I used to play <laughs> those kids so much fun awesome. alright guys I hope you guys enjoyed um, you know hope you guys liked it we'll have another one out soon and uh, yeah share it with your friends spread the word we really appreciate that and uh, yeah see you guys next time take care thank you guys for tuning in I hope you enjoyed our conversation and perhaps gleaned some new viewpoints that you may have not considered before I know I did and uh, if you guys enjoyed the episode, of course, make sure you subscribe. Visit BreakingTheGuard.com for the links to all of our platforms that we're hosted on. And uh, if you can, share it on social media. If you like something that you've, we've put together, we'd greatly appreciate the share so we can get some more exposure, get some more audience. And of course, if you guys have any feedback, go ahead, send it our way. We're always listening to input and we've actually made some adjustments based on uh, your guys' experiences. So feel free to chime in whenever you want. 
We're open to criticism. We're open to learning and becoming better for you. A final word from one of our sponsors, which is the Drysdale Cradle Series. Robert Drysdale has put together an amazing course in, of course, it's called the Drysdale Cradle Series. And if you're not familiar with folk style wrestling or just, you know, classical wrestling, there's a pinning combination called the cradle. And essentially is when you're entangling an arm or shoulder, a head, and a leg inside your grip. And you're, you're pretty much folding the person in two, like forcing them into a fetal position, if you will, while you're wrapping them and forcing them in there. And hence they call it the cradle. Uh, very effective way of pinning somebody in wrestling, commonly used. But uh, before, not a lot of people use it for MMA or for jiu-jitsu because uh, at a glance, it might not seem like there's anything you can do to submit somebody there. But there is. There's actually quite a few ways you can use this for passing the guard, for securing submissions. And Robert Drysdale has a, a unique way of approaching this. Uh, and, in a more jujitsu fashion, there's people who've done it catch wrestling wise, and they have some cool stuff there. This is like a slightly different perspective. He uses a uh, he uses a really cool passing sequence against the Z guard, which is a guard that a lot of people have problems with. And he's able to pass there. He's able to switch to guillotines, stars chokes, bravos, Japanese neckties, and uh, I also add in a few techniques on the online portion, going over how to pass a seated guard how to go from the cradle to the back mount, uh, and uh, really cool stuff. I think it, very simple, pretty much anybody can pick it up and use it right away and get great results. So to learn more about it and get some free videos, you can check it out at bjjcradle.com. And again, that's available in a DVD or online streaming format. So again, go ahead, check out bjjcradle.com.